safe, but that's not what a ship is built for. The idea of this is that, you know, in, in harbor, when you have a ship on the water, in harbor, the reason the harbors are built is so that they would be protected from the elements that occur out on the open seas, that storms wouldn't be so bad, waves would be real small, and that things would be safe, secure, and all the perils would be left out in the open seas so that things, so the ship would not be hurt while it's in, it was docking and in harbor. But the problem is that Ships are not ever created with the vision that they'll just spend their entire lives sitting in a harbor somewhere. There's no shipbuilder out there sitting there going, I'm going to build a ship for a harbor. Why not? Just, you know, just so it sits there forever. Shipbuilders have bigger dreams than that. They have more adventurous ideas of what the ship may accomplish in its time of service, whatever that may look like. That it, their idea in building the ship is that one day it might traverse the great oceans of our planet, that it might be able to deal with the storms and the waves that crash and batter the ship as it goes from point A to point B, and that on that ship there might be great goods that are taken from one shore to another, or people that are able to go and find new lands to explore and to, and to enjoy, or a million other different things. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about kind of tumultuous times over the last couple of months, really, as we've been looking at First and Second Samuel. Tumultuous times that look often like the open seas, uh, that where there's storms and difficulties. If you notice, we've kind of looked at those two books through that lens of things are not calm and easy through much of those two books that we've been working through. Um, things are crazy. There's good times where the seas seem real calm, and then all of a sudden, a storm blows out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, things get crazy, and things are all over the place. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to jump out of the books of First and Second Samuel, but still kind of tie into that same idea of these open seas, tumultuous times, and places where safety and comfort aren't always readily available. We're going to back it up a little bit into the book of Judges and look at a scripture that um, at first, when we read it, you're going to go, why in the world is that the scripture for this Sunday's message? That's weird. In fact, when Jill saw this on the schedule, she usually is really good at guessing where the general idea of where the message is going. And she saw this scripture on there, and her email was, I have no clue what you're doing with this. This seems like a really weird passage of scripture. And she was second guessing it the whole way. And but it's a really cool scripture in the fact that it's very formative for us in understanding what it looks like to respond to the call of God and to follow after him in obedience. This period of the judges is a period of Israel's history that is, as all periods of history, tumultuous. It's a period that really, in many ways, you can't really look at it at, with, with any other lens than the fact that most of the book of Judges is a time of spiritual decay. The ancestors of this generation, these generations of Israelites, saw God move in powerful ways as they, as they went out of Egypt and they crossed the, the Red Sea and they traversed the wilderness and then the next generation goes in and takes over the promised land. But, but the book of Judges is set just after that, like a generation or two after that is where the book of Judges sits and they've, they've lived in the land for a little while. They've kind of gotten comfortable to the way it is, and be quite frank, that God hasn't shown himself in the same amazing, miraculous wonders 
that their ancestors talked about and are written down in the books that before them in Scripture. That, that it, it, it's, it's just a little bit more comfortable and a little bit different. This, this generation doesn't seem to know who God is in the same way as their ancestors did or what he would expect for them or how they're supposed to live in light of that. And so what would happen is they often would just go off and do whatever they wanted to do. They would find themselves then in a situation where God is not happy with that. And then some foreign entity, often the Philistines, but not always, would come in and raid them and ransack them and, and take them over. And then they would cry out to God, oh God, why have you forsaken us? And then God would remember them and hear them and he would raise up a judge not a Supreme Court judge, not someone who sits in a courtroom judge. These judges were leaders of the people of Israel who ended up both saving them from their enemies and also calling them into faithfulness towards God's covenant as a people. And one of those such judges that was, that was raised up was a woman named Deborah, a woman who in many ways was raised up because the men of her time were not willing to take the mantle of leadership, and so she goes, well, I'm going to do it myself. I know a lot of women in this room that have often used that same exact phrase, well, you men are going to do it, I'm going to go do it myself, all right? And I'm going to make it sure it gets done. And what Deborah realizes in this midst of this kind of one cycle of this story that happens over and over and over again in Judges is that what makes her a great judge is that she realized that even if the culture is decaying spiritually, that does not mean that she isn't responsible for how she follows after God. Even if everyone else is going in one direction, she is still responsible to be faithful to God's call upon her life. And so she goes out and she leads them into battle and they defeat their enemies and, and the people of God are delivered again by, by God's powerful hand through his judge Deborah here. And after winning this decisive victory, she pens a song. This is common in Old Testament. They win a victory, then they sing a song, and you know it's. And the songs usually are songs about the victory, and they talk about how God did this and God did that. They sometimes get really gory, which is kind of weird, but um, it's like that's not a normal song lyric, but okay. And they, uh, and so she's got this song that's kind of going, but embedded in this song are a couple of verses that speak to how the people of Israel responded as she began to share what God's call was for this nation to step out, to fight their enemies, and to take up the battle that God was calling them into. These are powerful and kind of formative verses for us as we look at maybe the open spaces and maybe not always safe and secure spots that God might be calling us individually or collectively, and what our responses sometimes tend to be to that call around us. And so we're going to be jumping into Judges chapter 5, and it's just three verses. This is like your, this is the easy week on this. We'll do probably like 50 verses next week, but you know, it's only three this, this, this week. And it's a weird passage, but just go with me in this. In the midst of her song, she says, in the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of hearts. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced hills, fields. Sorry, now the translation says hills, hills there. 
This passage starts with this idea that in the districts of Reuben, it says that there was much searching of heart. That sounds really like the right response, doesn't it? You know, you hear something that sounds like God's call and search my heart, try to make sure, discern that this is God. It sounds in our English translations like this is a good thing that they're doing, except for that's not at all what the Hebrew connotates at all in this at all. It's, 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 in this, it sounds like they're doing something good, that they're prayerfully considering what Deborah is calling them into, and they're trying to see if it's the right thing. But the Hebrew connotates something very Different, and for once in the history of the Message Bible, I actually prefer Eugene Peterson's translation of this over any other modern English translation. And as he says, that in the districts of Reuben, there was much second guessing. It wasn't just searching of heart, as in we're going to see if this is something good, but it's it's the second guessing that 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 God's calling, but they're like. Eh, sure about really if that's, you know, they're kind of second guessing whether, whether God really is working and moving here. They're starting to doubt really whether God is at work in, in this situation. These people are anxious people. They hear that God is calling them into, into, into this, this battle that God is leading them into, and they realize that it's, it's not going to be safe and secure. It's not going to necessarily be easy. It's not going to be necessarily the, the, the simple way to move forward. And so instead of following in faithful obedience to God's call, they, they second-guess the call a little bit. They're like, what? did I really hear God right in that one? Does that, is that really what God wants to do in this situation? Is that, is that really how he's leading us right now? Are you sure about this, Deborah? I mean, all the other judges were men. Why, 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 are you sure you got this one right on this one? They started to second-guess God's call And it leads them to four very different responses. And these responses are common responses even today. And they're listed right there. They're just kind of weird because they're kind of in this song and very contextualized. But we have the first response, which is the response of Gilead. It says that Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Do a little bit of geography just to understand this. Gilead is an area on the western side of the Jordan River. No, eastern side of the Jordan River. Sorry, eastern side of the Jordan River. And the rest of the nation of Israel, for the most part, is on the western side of the Jordan River, right there between the Jordan River and, and the coast there. And so what happens is that Gilead's going, well, you know, it'd be nice to go and follow after where God's leading. It'd be nice to follow after him, but you know, that river is in the way, and we don't really feel like we want to move to go anywhere else. Isn't there a way that we can follow what God wants us to do without having to go anywhere? Can't we just stay where we are and just just do it here and, and not have to be moved by God? We can just do it in the place where, where we are right now. There's no need to go over there to be a part of what God's doing, right? Like, he could easily call us right here. It's interesting that as um, I was heading off to Mozambique over the weeks, kind of leading into leaving there, I had a couple of different conversations with different individuals, uh, friends in my life who, and family members who, in essence, said a very similar type of response. They were like, you know, I think it's great you're going to Mozambique, but why do you have to go to Mozambique to serve God? Can't you serve God right where you are? You don't need to go halfway around the world to do that, do you? And it's one of those statements that there's some truth in it. 
there's definitely some truth that God is at work everywhere and God is working in all places, except it's also a Gilead response. Because if God calls you to go to Mozambique and you turn around and say, well, that's great, God, but actually I'm going to stay here, that's not obedience. That's disobedience. If God calls us to move, then we must be moved by him if that's where his call leads us into. And so it's not that God isn't in all places working in all places, but it's up to us to say, the battle's over there that he's calling me into. And so sometimes that means I'll be where I am, but sometimes that means I need to be willing to be moved to cross the Jordan River to be able to be used where God is calling me to be used in service toward him. We know we're beginning to have a Gilead response when we, we say we want to be a part of God's mission. We say that, and, and we even can be very passionate about it, speaking it all the time. But then when it comes down to the opportunities that are laid before us to actually get involved and get our hands dirty and get, our, get, our, get, get, get into things, we've got a list of the reasons and excuses why it's just not the right thing or the right time or the right situation that, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got a good job right now. I, don't, I don't really can't go there. I, it's just not good. It's just not, this isn't the right time. Oh, I already did that. I checked the box. I've done that in my past, and so I'm not going to go do that again. I've passed that point in my life. Whatever, money is tight. But when we start to make decisions out of our excuses, even though we may be very passionate about what God's mission is, we're starting to lead into the Gilead type of response. I'd rather, I'm willing to be used by God, but I, I don't want to cross the river. I don't want to be moved by God. After Gilead, then we get Dan and the tribe of Israel. It says, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Apparently, the shipyards are the places where economic activity are occurring. Ships are coming in, goods are coming in, things. This is where there's, there's a lot of stuff to be done. If you've ever been near any type of shipyard, it's busy, 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 busy all the time. People are moving everywhere. There's a schedule, and things have to be done at certain times. There's plans, and stuff has to be done on time. And so Dan, they linger by the ships. They aren't really willing to stop the activity of everything that they're already doing, the plans that they already have going on in their lives. There's work to be done by the ships, and in their mindset, it's probably like, you know, it would be really irresponsible to go off and fight a battle right now. Someone's got to stay by the ship. Someone's got to do this. Someone's got to, got, got, to, got to keep this thing afloat, pun intended. Um, but that's not what God's call is again. God's call is to go and to fight on the open fields where he's leading them into. I have felt the pull of the Dan type of response, and I remember feeling it when God first called me into ministry. Many of you know I was playing tennis and enjoying playing and coaching tennis. I was in Australia um, for a while there, and when God's call first started to come, then I think started to realize he's starting to call me into ministry. My first response, and some of you have heard me say this, was, that's great, God. Once I'm done doing all the things that I want to do right now, then I'll go and do that for you after that. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to continue to do this while I'm young and while I'm, while I'm still fit and while I'm able to. And then once I hit, my, once I hit that ripe old age of 30, <laughs> which I just hit, <laughs> um, 
then, then, then after I'm over the hill, that was my thinking then, then once I'm over the hill there and I hit 30, then I'll start to do what you're calling me into. I lingered by the ships. I lingered by my plans. I lingered by what I wanted to do. We know we're starting to have a Dan response to God's call when we buy into the fallacy that really our plans are better or more important or take precedence over God's plans in our lives, that we need to accomplish and check the boxes of what we want to get done, get the house, have the family, get the things done that we have on our five-year plan, 10-year plan. Some of you are crazy and you have like a 50-year plan, all right? And all these things. Some of you have a five-minute plan. Um, and, uh, but that our plans are more important than what God's plans might be. Then we have Asher, who says, remained in the, on the coast and stayed in his coves. These are the people where at least I can give them credit. They hear the call of God, and they're just scared. And so they run for the coves. They run for the places that are safe. They run for the safe places around them. They realize that God is calling them to something that is not exactly going to be the safest, most comfortable situation. And so at least they're honest in their response, and they just kind of run to the safe places that they can find themselves in. We see this over and over and over again in the church, especially in the U.S. today, as we see churches who, I don't know if you notice, many, many more closing their doors over and over and over again. And this is a generalization, but by and large, many of them are closing their doors because they have chosen to live and make decisions out of their comfortability, out of their safety, and out of their security, instead of doing the hard work that is required to continue to be on the front lines of what God's mission and ministry is in the world today. We realize we're beginning to have Asher responses when we begin to make more decisions out of our comfortability than out of the places and the open seas that God may be calling us into. When we're more worried about the risks that are involved than we are the great prizes and rewards that are found in following after God. And then finally, we have Zebulun and Naphtali, two tribes of Israel that most of you probably forgot were tribes of Israel because they don't show up a lot in Scripture at all. But Zebulun and Naphtali are said that they risked their very lives. They heard the call of God to go and to step into the battlefield following after his leading, and they say yes. And they're willing to risk every bit of their lives in faithful obedience to God's call. It doesn't matter which side of the Jordan River it's on. It doesn't matter how risky. It doesn't matter how it messes up with their plans or the things that they have going on. Instead, they drop everything. They give up everything to be able to be used in faithful obedience to God's call in their lives. A few years ago, I had a friend, more of an acquaintance of mine now, but who started to feel that he was discerning some sort of a, that God was calling him to some sort of missions work. So he started to pray about the where. Where am I supposed to go? What is this supposed to look like? And as he began to pray about it, he, he honestly was, was unsure because there was a place that keep, kept coming up and kept being something that was placed upon his heart, but it certainly couldn't be the place that God was calling a missionary to go. The place was a country called Iraq. Just saw like half of your faces just make some weird face like... <laughs> um, and so he prayed and prayed and prayed and sought others' counsel and eventually, though, felt like this was the place that God was calling him to go. 
And so he left for two years to go live and work and to minister among the people in a place that most of us would never, ever think of going. And what happened was that he had a faithful and growing and powerful ministry that took place there in the open spaces, the not very safe spaces that occurred in Iraq because he was faithful to the call of God, no matter where that took him, even if it meant risking his very own life. You can only have a Zebulun and Naphtali response once every single part of your entire life, your entire family, your entire finances, your entire household, your entire mindset, every last area, nook and cranny of your life is placed at the altar of God and is given up to him so that he may mess with, turn upside down, make inside out, completely destroy and have to rebuild completely every area of your life if he so desires to do so. This type of obedience requires us to give every last room of our lives over to his guidance, his direction, and his use, regardless of how safe, secure, understandable, weird, out there, or risky it might be. And so my question this morning is, where do you find yourself? We all have different responses when we start to feel God's call into different places. And sometimes that's God's call through a prayer time. Sometimes that's God's call through a leader that has been raised up within the church or within our families or, or somewhere else that, that we begin to discern where God's call is. And, and quite honestly, most of us, our first response is not to go, well, I'm going to go risk my very life for that right there. Most of us have a different and we can't really end up choosing the response of being willing to risk our very lives for what God may have for us, to lay everything down unless we start to identify the places and the excuses that we tend to make when we start to hear God's call in various different ways. When God calls in your life, do you find yourself kind of like Gilead? Wanting to be a part of what God's doing? wanting and maybe even very passionate about it in your language, but unwilling to really be moved by God's call, unwilling to be moved in the places where he may call us into. Maybe it's more like Dan for you, or you tend to linger in your own plans. You start saying things, well, you know, if, if that's really God's will, then, then okay, but he's got to make it really, 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 really clear and I've heard people go with like 10 more reallys after that um, just because they really like their plans and they're not willing to give them up very easily. They linger by their own plans. Maybe it's more like Asher for you, retreating to those comfortable and safe and secure places, the coves and the coasts where, this, where home is instead of being willing to step out into the battlefield with God where, that, where he might be leading. Or maybe for some of us, you have placed the all on the altar. And your response is more like Zebulun and Naphtali, where when God calls, you are ready without hesitation to follow wherever God may lead, even if it means risking your very life. 
little over a month ago, we held a congregational meeting in this very room over food. So hopefully you guys heard a few things that I said because you weren't, I hope you weren't too enthralled with the chicken and sides that occurred. And in that congregational meeting, we shared the news that we were no longer going to be pursuing a large building project here at New Beginning, that we did not feel that that was the faithful and obedient next step to where God was calling us. And I'm sure that there were mixed feelings that Sunday when that was shared. Some of you may have been very elated and some kind of second-guessing a little bit as to what God may or may not be calling us into. I'm sure, because I've heard from a few of you, that there's even more mixed feelings when we started to talk about things like nebulous ideas of engaging in some sort of an extension of ministry into various communities around us and engaging missionally and getting off the hill more and all these different things that were, that were, that were talked about there. And, and, and there were probably a lot of mixed feelings that were occurring there as we tried to share some of these areas that we felt like God was calling us in faithful obedience into. And I wanted to preach on this scripture because I feel like this scripture offers us a great lens to hopefully understand the responses that we may have to where God is leading us currently as individuals, but also as a people, but also to understand the heart behind the why of where we're going. That as scary and as, as difficult as some of these nebulous ideas and different concepts that seem like they're sometimes out of the norm of what many of us have grown up seeing churches do. In most of those churches, you build the box, you fill the box with people. Once the box is filled with people, you build a bigger box onto the original box so you can have more people fill that box, and then you build the next box, and you fill the next box, and you keep doing that ad nauseum until you get to a certain point. But as with the ship that's in harbor, I fully believe that what God has created each one of us and our church collectively to do is not to retreat to the safe spaces on the coves and the coasts, not to stay on our side of the Jordan River away from where the fighting and the battle is really taking place of our day and time, and not to linger in our own plans instead of engaging in the plans that God may have for us, but that the call of God is to be willing to risk our very lives and our very life collectively in the pursuit of being faithful followers of God's leading in our time and place. Zebulun and Naphtali give us a picture of what it looks like to be faithful to the call of God in order to see the great victories of their day take place. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that the story of New Beginning is a story of a people who are meant to continue to risk their very lives, individually and collectively, to lay down everything at the foot of the cross, to be obedient to where God calls, no matter where that may take us, whether we understand it in the moment, and whether it's scary, whether it's easy, whether it's hard, or anything in between. To risk our very lives is, quite frankly, to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. 
the one who came and did not seek his life to be ransomed at every cost so that he could live and be a king as we would think it, but was willing to lay down his life on a cross so that he might make a way for us to have a relationship with the Father. And so this morning, we're going to have the opportunity to gather around the table of the Lord, to partake in the meal that Christ instituted during that Last Supper, a meal that is meant to be not only a reminder of Christ's sacrifice, but is also meant to be a meal that shapes and forms us. Every practice that we do as Christians is not just a reminder or a cognitive thing, but it's actually supposed to be something that shapes and forms and molds us as well. And so as we partake of the bread that signifies the body that is broken and the, and the uh, cup that signifies the blood that was spilled out, we are reminded that we are to be shaped as a people who are willing to give our very lives in service to the one who gave his life for us. And so this morning, we're going to ask our worship team to start to make their way up. We're going to sing a song of preparation as we prepare for the Lord's table here this morning. And I want to encourage you during this time, you can sing the song, the lyrics that are on the screen, but I want to encourage us in this time to take some time to examine our hearts, to ask the Holy Spirit to do some searching in our lives. If you were to be asked to do the craziest thing ever by God today, where would your response be? Would your all be on the altar, or would there be much second guessing, as Eugene Peterson would say? Would there be lingering? Would there be an unwillingness to be moved? Would there be a search for safety and comfortability instead of leaning into the places where he might be calling? Are you feeling the call? Are you feeling the call of God to make a commitment this morning? And I'm hoping that you might be. If you're not there to be able to say, my all is on the altar, it starts with a commitment. It starts with simply saying, God, help me to lay it all at your feet. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you during this song that it's okay if there's lyrics on the screen that you don't sing them sometimes. That's allowed as well. All right. And maybe it's time to just spend some time in prayer at your seat. Maybe for you it's easier actually to come to the altar to put your all on the altar this morning. But to spend some time in prayer and committing our lives to him, that he might use us to win the great victories and the battles that he has placed before us for our time, for our day, for the places that he has placed us. And so I want to encourage you to do that this morning as we spend some time in prayer and preparation for the table of the Lord. Let's pray.